This is the Skeptic Squared Podcast. A safe place to make light of sacred things. My name is Matt. And I'm Corinne. And in this program, we will be discussing current events related to religion, atheism, and skepticism. Our goal is not to insult believers, although that will probably happen from time to time, but rather to share our point of view on these topics in a way which will benefit and entertain others. Or maybe we just want to stroke our own egos. You decide. Welcome to the Skeptic Squared podcast. Today is May 1st, 2016, and with me is my wife, Corinne. Hello. How are you? Fine. Fine. Good. Good or fine? I said fine. fine. You said good. Yes. Okay. So you're confusing yourself. Yeah. I do that. Probably. I don't know. I'm confused already. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So... Uh, Today we have a whole bunch of stuff to talk about, um, especially with the Mormon Church. Um, A lot of things have been going on. Yeah, They they seem to uh, keep themselves busy with ridiculous things, which gives us plenty of fodder. Yep. (laughs) They wonder why people leave. Right. Um, So I thought to start with, um, we could go with... One Elder Holland, Jeffrey R. Holland, who is somebody that we've talked about a little bit in previous episodes. He's one of the regulars in Mormon General Conference. He's one of the highest ranking leaders of the Mormon Church. And recently, I think it was this week, he had a devotional in Tempe, Arizona. That's how you say it, right? Tempe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've never been, so I don't really know. Um, And he said some things that are um, kind of upsetting a lot of people who have left the church or who are having doubts about the church. um, Or who know people that have left the church, too. Right. So let's just uh, get into it. So this is – the the video is available on um, YouTube, the – Let's see, the actual video is Elder Holland Tempe, Arizona Devotional Part 3. <laughs> That's the title of the, the video, if you That's want to look it up. That's where you can find this quote, anyway. Right, and uh, the quote that I'm going to be reading starts at the 2 minute, 10 second marker. So it's kind of a longer video, it's like 15 minutes or so. The whole devotional is like almost an hour. Minutes. Yeah. Um, anyway, so here's the quote. Don't you dare bail. I am so furious with people who leave this church. I don't know whether furious is a good apostolic word. And at this Which point, got a lot of laughs. Yeah, at this point, everybody in the crowd just starts laughing. But I am. What on earth kind of conviction is that? What kind of patty, patty cake, taffy pole experience is that? More laughter. More laughter. As if none of this ever mattered. As if none... As if nothing... In our contemporary life mattered, as if this is all just supposed to be just exactly the way I want it and answer every one of my questions and pursue this and occupy that and defy this. And then maybe I'll be a Latter-day Saint. Well, there's too much Irish in me for that. More laughter. More laughter. So the the part, of course, that um, people are upset about is... You know, saying that he's just so furious with people who have left the church and how it's a lack of commitment on their right. part. Right. Um, 
It's like Uchtdorf saying skepticism is easy. Yeah, it just kind of belittles everything that. Uh, yeah. Like people who go through this ex- this crisis, the crisis mm-hmm. of faith, experience. Right. You know, mm-hmm. it cheapens it, and yeah. it's a way I think of um, kind of reassuring the people that are still in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like you mentioned, people that know people that have left the church might be. A, might be offended by this as well, right. you know, because it belittles people that they know, people that they care about. Right. And yeah. Right. And it's going to like, it sends mixed messages too, because mm-hmm. the church tr- preaches being all inclusive and loving everyone, loving one another. And then they go and say things like this, mm-hmm. sending mixed messages. It makes it difficult for true believing members to like actually sort out their own feelings on subjects, subjects like this, especially mm-hmm. if they have members moving away or family members moving away from the church. Right. And then, you know, what, what happens to say a a young member of the church who starts having doubts and they hear something like this, this is how they think that their family is going to perceive them. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. which is going to silence them and discourage, um, inquiry, Uh um, which is probably what elder Holland has in mind. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, definitely. (laughs) Well, because even he goes on to say in that clip, like, mm-hmm. if there are any investigators sitting in here tonight, mm-hmm. I want to speak to you before we leave, you know, yeah. so that I can commit you to joining this church. And he's like, right. <laughs> I don't know. It was, it was interesting listening to that. Could you imagine feel bad for an investigator? Yeah. Could you imagine being a legitimate investigator going to a meeting like that and hearing an apostle of the church speak so condescendingly to, to outsiders? Right. It makes me think, like, it makes me wonder how they're actually perceiving what he's saying. Like, mm-hmm. is, are they catching mm-hmm. that, or are they, like, members where they just kind of overlook that because they mm-hmm. are legitimately interested in the church? I don't know. I don't know. I, I would imagine that probably most of the people, if there were any investigators going to this meeting, mm-hmm. um, were fairly invested already. Right. Um, probably had a baptism date that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, why else would you go to this meeting yeah, as an investigator? True. <laughs> that's um, true. So they probably would approach it in the same way that a, a, a regular member would. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It still bugs me though. Yeah. Um, so to, to, uh, let's see there's another quote from a, uh, a different guy in the hierarchy of Mormonism an elder Clayton. Do you know who elder Clayton is? Uh, is he an apostle? I think or he's is one he of the seventy. I think he's one of the new apostles. Uh, I don't know. I can't. I can't keep him straight. <laughs> Ever since I stopped um, going to church, I just haven't really been able to keep up with all of the changes. But I'm pretty sure he is one of the newer apostles. Um, anyway, so he had um, a speech at BYU's commencement ceremony. Um, was it last week or the week before? Yeah, it was like two weeks ago. And. It, it also similarly caused a lot of uh, people outside of the church to feel like um, Mormon leaders don't respect them right. or that they're um, condescending towards them. Uh, so this is the quote that he said at commence- commencement mm-hmm. for BYU graduates. Um, it's, it's a little bit longer, but I'll, yeah, I'll just read it. A few of you may run may have run into some who have ceased to hold fast to the iron rod. Iron rod in Mormonism means that you stay true to the church, right? Mm-hmm. You stay faithful. Um, who have wandered off the straight and narrow path and have become lost. 
They started sometimes with online tours of the territory of the faithless. The indiscretion, this indiscretion, is often accompanied by failing to earnestly study the Book of Mormon every day and by the companion problem of gradually becoming lax in keeping other commandments. This sometimes leads to listening to and then hearkening to those who mock the church, its leaders, or its history. The faithless often promote themselves as the wise who can rescue the rest of us from our naivete. One does not need to listen to assertive apostates for, for long to see the parallels between them and the Korahors, Nehors, and Sherems of the Book of Mormon. <laughs> so Korahor, Nehor, and Sherem are characters in the Book of Mormon um, who are described as antichrists. Mm. So just, they just fight against the church. Um, we should disconnect. So this is the important part. This is the part that upset a lot of people. We should disconnect immediately and completely from listening to the proselytizing efforts of those who have lost their faith and instead reconnect promptly with the Holy Spirit. The adversary sees spiritual apathy and half-hearted obedience as, as opportunities to encircle us with his chains and bind us, and he hopes to destroy us. We escape his chains as we voluntarily choose to bind ourselves instead to God. So the idea of disconnecting immediately from um, apostates is mm -hmm. what's upsetting a lot of people. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it does seem like he's trying to draw a, a distinction between um, uh, talking to apostates or people who leave the church in general versus listening to what they have to say about the church. Mm -hmm. Like he, he, like if you really look carefully at what he's saying, he seems to be trying to make that distinction. But that's not how this is being perceived. I don't right. think that very many people have really caught on to that kind of nuance. Mm -hmm. All they heard, at least a lot of uh, the comments that I saw on social media, is disconnect. Was, is disconnect from apostates. Right. You know? Right. Well, and in some cases, like, that could be the easiest route, too. Mm -hmm. You know? Some people are a lot more vocal about what they believe the Mormon church is. Yeah. It just reminds me a lot of the uh, Scientologist church, Church of Scientology, mm -hmm. and their policy on suppressive persons. Oh, right. And how you're supposed to completely sever ties with them yeah. because they'll lead you out of the church. Right. Basically kind of thing. disowning. Mm -hmm. And then um, I think it's Jehovah's Witnesses mm -hmm. also have a similar policy of yep. disfellowship. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a, it's a very common tactic of uh, cults and uh, smaller religions to keep the core group of believers insular and uh, a common word that has been coming up in Mormon, in, in the Mormon church is inculcated um, or inoculated, sorry, inoculated <laughs> <laughs> from, uh, you know, the buffetings of Satan, that kind of thing. Um, Anyway, so there's been a lot of talk about how to talk to or how to interact with apostates. Um, and this has led to some people who have recently left the church to become much more vocal and uh, much more public. Um, one person in particular who uh, has come out very, very recently mm -hmm. um, is a member of the band Neon Trees. Yes. The lead singer, Tyler Glenn. Yes. Um, now, I, I'm not terribly familiar with Neon Trees. 
which I find somewhat ironic because I have been involved in the local music scene in Provo. Mm -hmm. Um, But I kind of came in a little bit towards the end of their um, career in Provo. Provo. Like they started Mm -hmm. to branch out more nationally when I started to get involved Mm -hmm. um, with the scene. So I didn't really have much interaction with them, um, and I don't really listen to much of their music. But, uh, you know, I, I listened to the the uh, episode of Mormon Stories where John mm-hmm. DeLynn interviewed Tyler Glenn, and he talked about being a gay Mormon um, and how he came out in Rolling Stone magazine and how he was very proud of the fact mm-hmm. that he um, was both Mormon and gay, and mm-hmm. he had found a way to reconcile the two, and and he was happy about that. Mm-hmm. Um and then, was it last November, mm-hmm. they had the big um, policy change that mm-hmm. we did a couple episodes on mm-hmm. where they exclude, the, the Mormon church decided to exclude um, children of homosexual couples from membership in the church. Mm-hmm. They couldn't get baptized, couldn't receive any of the ordinances or rights of the church. Um, and this caused Tyler to go into something of a uh, faith crisis. Mm-hmm. And so he talked a lot about that in his interview with John DeLynn. Um, and he mentioned that he had been uh, just kind of writing a lot of music, just you know, lyrics to songs and stuff that had come to him during this experience because it's so traumatic, it's so fundamental to who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, that for you know somebody who writes music, of course they're going to write music about that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, I got the impression that he wasn't intending on releasing any of it um, in that interview. You you got a different impression from mm-hmm. it, right? Mm-hmm. What was your impression by it? Well, my impression was that he was intending to at least publish a few of the songs. I didn't know if he was going to go solo. I thought maybe he'd do it with Neon Trees. Mm-hmm. But Yeah, and then this week, or was it yesterday or the day before, he actually released a new music video, a solo music video on, again, Rolling Stone mm-hmm. on their website. You can check it out. Um, the, the title of the uh, article in Rolling Stone is Watch Neon Trees Tyler Glenn Slam Mormon Church in New Solo Video. Okay. So pretty provocative title. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to play the video because it's not going to make a whole, a whole lot of sense to just play the song. Um, because most of the important parts, the parts that are really scathing towards the church, mm-hmm, are visual. Are visual. Um, so let's talk about some of the things that were in the video. So the first thing that you see is Tyler at the end of a hall, a very dark, kind of claustrophobic-looking mm-hmm. hallway. And he has a bottle of what appears to be like alcohol. wine or alcohol of some kind. And he just takes a big swig of it and then starts singing the song. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, in Mormonism, alcohol is a big no-no. Yeah. Um, you can't get into the temple if you drink alcohol, which means that you can't make it to the celestial kingdom, mm-hmm. uh, the highest um, echelons of heaven. And then after that, um, he starts you know, singing the song. He, he, he's walking down the hallway. and He's like dance walking. Y- yeah. <laughs> and it's, very, it's a very aggressive kind of dance, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the things that he says in the article is that he wanted it to be kind of aggressive and violent, mm-hmm. showing the, uh, the like the, the pain that a faith crisis can have on mm-hmm. a person, you know, like this relationship with something that they used to love is now being ripped away from them. Mm-hmm. Um, so after, after that, um, let's see, he's, he's going down the hallway and then do you remember what's in the hall? 
pictures of Joseph Smith mm -hmm. in the first vision. Yeah. Um, right. So very iconic photos within Mormonism. Mm -hmm. And the one of Joseph Smith, mm -hmm. which any Mormon will be, be able to identify as Joseph Smith, even though the face is altered a little, mm -hmm. a little bit. I just remember it's not the first vision. Sorry. Right. Um, he, he just hawks a big old loogie on it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And that's how you know. Um, like before that, you, you could, I mean, you didn't necessarily, necessarily know which direction he was going to go with this right. video. Mm -hmm. But as soon as he spits on the face of Joseph Smith, you know where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And he's not being subtle about it. I think that's what was interesting to me. Right. He's yeah. not being subtle about his feelings mm -hmm. in this video. Oh, by the way, the name of the song is Trash. Trash. Um, and uh, so the the, uh, the main lyric in the song um, is one man's trash is another man's treasure, which is a common phrase. Um, but in the context of a religious um, crisis, mm -hmm. I think it's it's a very powerful line because it's saying that you know, one person's religion, which is super important to them, is another man's trash. Right. You know, and he has flipped. Mm -hmm. And that's what this whole video is about. Um, after he spits on Joseph Smith, he then goes down um, the hallway to a small cramped elevator. Uh -huh. um, which to me, well, well, once he, once he starts doing his dance thing, I, and uh, the next big offensive thing that he does is he, he does the handshakes that you get in the temple mm -hmm. to, his, to his own hands. So mm -hmm. he does it on himself. But anybody that's gone through the Mormon temple will recognize those as these uh, super special, super secret, sacred, whatever, mm -hmm. um, tokens or signs of the temple that you take an oath to never reveal, reveal to anybody ever. Uh -huh. Okay. So it's this super big deal. It used to be accompanied with a blood oath right. where you actually make a gesture to slit your own throat and slit your own belly. They stopped doing that, I think in 92. Um, but before that they had that. So like my parents mm -hmm. did it, Mitt Romney did it. I'm my parents, your pro parents probably did it as mm -hmm. well. Um, but our generation doesn't do it anymore. No. Um, but still, it's it's considered a very big deal in mm -hmm. Mor in the Mormon Church to reveal those handshakes to anybody. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so when he was doing that, um, to me, it became obvious that this elevator kind of represented the temple. Did you get that at all? I didn't think about it like that. But. Okay, like the, it's this this small secret area it's closed doors he's doing the secret rites and all that okay, yeah. he's wearing his nice suit and everything um <laughs> even though it's very dark and um not exactly gothic but it's kind of got that that hipster vibe you know it's like hipster gothic yeah it's pretty dark there's a lot it's of it's pretty dark colors yeah, yeah. um yeah, so to, to me, I saw... The opposite of the temple. Right. I saw... Yeah, exactly. I saw the, the parallel with the temple when he was doing that. Okay. And as you pointed out, it's, it's opposite of what's in the temple because everybody wears white in the mm -hmm. temple. And he's wearing this very dark suit. Mm -hmm. um, so in that way, it's kind of symbolic. And then while he's still in the elevator, um, he starts ripping up um, pages from the Book of Mormon. And you see like pages flying all the way around him. Well, it's he like doesn't this rip them up himself. They're just blowing around him. Yeah, um, but it's kind of assumed that he did. But anyway, um, so again, lots of imagery ab about um, the Mormon church and very directed. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Um, well, in that line, like, you baptized me before I was ready. Oh, yeah. You know, he's got mm-hmm. quite a few poignant lines in there mm-hmm. that people outside the church talk about all the time. It's like, mm-hmm. eight as the age of accountability. How can you really decide that you want to join and commit your life to this religion? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's something that people um, have pointed out where, like, say, for instance, somebody is a teenager and they decide that they don't believe in the Mormon right. church. And their oh, parents, they're too young. Exactly. Their parents say that, that they're too young to make the decision to leave. Mm-hmm. Well, I was only eight years old to make the decision to join. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, anything else to say about the video? Mm. No, not particularly. Okay. It'll just be interesting to see what else he comes out with, since mm-hmm. he's planning on releasing a solo, solo album with more songs like this. Because mm-hmm. if his first single is this poignant and outspoken, like it'll be interesting to hear what the rest of the album is like, if they all follow that line. And what that'll do to Neon Trees' uh, fan base. Yeah, because they did... They did a concert in Provo this weekend, mm-hmm. um, which was like the day after he released this video. Um, and I, I looked on Reddit earlier today, and uh, somebody was mentioning that that um, the bass player during their show was he came out on stage with a BYU hat and then put it prominently on his bass amp so that everybody in the crowd would see. BYU. Mm-hmm. And then after the set was done, he picked up the hat, put it back on, and then played the first couple notes of Praise to the Man, which is a song about Joseph Smith and the first vision and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so everybody was talking about how, you know, this is his way of expressing his um, his view on the church mm-hmm. and uh, that kind of thing, which, I mean, it's fine, but it, I don't know. Like you said, it, it'll be interesting to see how the band reacts to this music video because they weren't part of it. Um, I don't think that they necessarily even knew that it was happening. Um, so at the end of this article, um, there is a quote from Tyler that uh, kind of explains where he's coming from with making this video. Um, so I'll just read it. It says, the big problem here is that they, the, the church, claim it's the only truth. Mm-hmm. There have been over 40 suicides within the church as a result of this policy, the one with children not being able to join. Mm-hmm. Since November. It's Since just November. such a short window. Mm. These aren't just grown men and women. Many are children. It's backwards. It's not of God. I needed to make this statement to artfully show the pain of a faith crisis and the darkness of doubt, but also that there's a way to reclaim what is yours. Anyway, I thought that was a good quote. Mm-hmm. Okay, so kind of shifting gears a little bit, um, we we talked we've talked on a few episodes about Jeremy Runnels. <laughs> yep, <laughs> and uh, his letter uh, CES letter, right? Um, which kind of it just it's basically a big list of his research into problem problem areas of the Mormon Church. And um, he, he's gotten a lot of flack from the church by it. Um, he's also gotten a lot of publicity from non-Mormons or ex-Mormons, people that are doubting. Sorry. 
And, uh, and then this earlier this year, um, the church said that he was going to have a disciplinary council, which means that there's a good chance that he will be excommunicated. Um, and then they kept kind of pushing the date back and back and back. The uh, actual date, if I can find it, uh, was on April 19th, 2016. So just a couple weeks ago. And uh, you can actually find the transcript of this disciplinary council, which is a pretty rare thing. They don't usually record them. And mm -hmm. I'm not sure who it was that did record it. Um, my guess is that the stake president in charge of the meeting didn't know that this was being recorded. No, and I'm sure that's why Jeremy couldn't bring in his own trans, his own uh, interpreter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because he because is... Because they were worried about this happening. Right, because he's he's deaf, and they weren't going to provide him with a translator... Um, they were just going to let him kind of figure fumble it out, his way through right? It. Fumble his way through it because he, he has partial hearing or whatever, but he's legally deaf. Mm -hmm. um, so he he wanted a an interpreter, yeah, so um, that he didn't have to guess at anything, right? And, and so that everything is open. Mm -hmm. There's no question about what happened or what was said. Mm -hmm. uh, but they didn't want to give it to him, um, so he brought his own interpreter, mm -hmm. um, and and then they stopped him at the door and said. No, we, we have our own. Mm -hmm. Like, we'll, we'll give you one now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? <Yeah. laughs> it's like everything is just very gamey with this stake president. It's super gamey. Um, throughout the entire thing, um, nobody answered any of Jeremy's um, questions, um, which, to the point where it seemed like before the meeting had um, gotten started, the stake president probably told all the members of the council not to engage with Jeremy. Mm -hmm. um, Anyway, so the the end of the transcript. Real quick, um, in um, on the ex Mormon Reddit, they someone mm -hmm. posted the um, like the instructions in, mm -hmm. for, in the handbook on disciplinary councils, uh -huh. and one of the instructions in there is that is kind of to not engage. You don't want to engage in anything that could lead to like an argument or a debate. So that's mm -hmm. probably lent itself to them not actually saying anything as well interesting like it's I, I hadn't in heard that. the handbook because i also saw something about um them being able to ask questions and get answers yeah yeah that so, too so i don't know it's probably one of those fine line things and the stake mm -hmm. president just decided not to drag Nothing. this out yeah and uh yeah, yeah. kind of move things along yeah which well, to me jeremy's asking questions that they can't answer without mm -hmm. You know, making it obvious that he is, mm -hmm. in fact, right. Right. It, it just seemed to me that this was a loaded disciplinary council. They knew the outcome before Which going Which is what in. Jeremy even says. Right. So at the very end of the disciplinary council transcript, um, he has um, several paragraphs where he talks about the main issues that he has with the church that are um, the, some of the main problems are brought on by the church's official essays that you can read on LDS.org. Mm -hmm. So I, I wanted to just kind of read what those were. I thought it was very concise, and uh, it's a pretty good list of some of the major problems in Mormonism. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll just read the transcript. Again, this is a transcript. It's not like a speech or anything. Mm -hmm. So there's probably going to be some errors and some grammatical issues. I'll do my best to make it coherent. Um, Anyway, so so here it is. So I'm going to respond to a quick few accusations. This is Jeremy. This is Jeremy speaking. 
One, you published materials and participated in interviews which have attempted to discredit the church. Um, referring probably to like his involvement with Mormon stories and stuff like that. Um, his response is, I'm not discrediting the church. The church's essays are discrediting the church. There's an essay called Race and the Priesthood, where the brethren who approved these essays, um, here's a quote, Today, the church disavows the theories advanced in the past that black skin is a sign of divine disfavor or curse. End quote. So today's prophets, seers, and revelators threw yesterday's prophets, seers, and revelators under the bus, because that's something that they used to say. Mm-hmm. We have a record of 130 years of prophets pointing to God for the priesthood ban. And it was not just a priesthood ban, it was a temple exaltation ban because black individuals and families could not get endowed or sealed in the temple for 130 years over what the church now calls a disavowed theory, a disavowed theory that began with Brigham Young in 1852. It wasn't because the blacks were not valiant in the pre-existence. It wasn't revelation. It was a disavowed theory. Uh, If at any point you want to interject, go ahead. Um, The essay says we disavow that black skin is a sign of divine disfavor or curse, yet that contradicts the Book of Mormon. In 2 Nephi 5.21, quote, And he had caused the cursing to come upon them, yea, even a sore cursing, because of their iniquity. For behold, they had hardened their hearts against him, that they had become like unto flint. Wherefore, as they were white and exceedingly fair and delightsome, that they might not be enticing unto my people, the Lord God did cause a skin of blackness to come upon them, end quote. This is the church's own essay, Race and the Priesthood. It's discrediting the church. It's discrediting the Book of Mormon. It's discrediting every prophet from Brigham Young all the way to Harold B. Lee. So it's not me that's discrediting the church. It's the church's own essays. It's all facts. Mormon history is discrediting the church. Joseph Smith's actions and conduct of marrying other men's wives and 14-year-old girls behind Emma's back is discrediting Joseph Smith. It's not me who's discrediting him, it's facts. These are not anti-Mormon lies. It's amazing to me that what was yesterday's anti-Mormon lies are now today's church essays. Which is a very strong point in his favor, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which is something that we've talked about quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, how these essays are admitting to things that in the past they would excommunicate historians for. Mm-hmm. You They've know. taken great pains to keep these under yeah. wraps. Mm-hmm. And now they are admitting to them, and now mm-hmm. they're still disciplining people that are talking about them openly and mm-hmm. saying how they're problematic. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> or the very least inconsistent. Right. Um, okay, so continuing on. What am I doing here, President? What am I doing here? What error or mistake have I made? Please correct me. Book of Mormon. What are eight, uh, 1769 King James Version errors doing in the Book of Mormon? Other scriptures that are fraudulent. The book of Abraham. This is from the book of Abraham church essay. Quote, Neither the rules nor the translations in the grammar book correspond to those recognized by Egyptologists today. Scholars have identified the papyrus uh, fragments as part of a standard funerary text that were deposited with mummified bodies. End quote. 
This is in the church's translation and historicity of the Book of Abraham essay. So the papyri that Joseph Smith translated from is a standard funerary document, and they expand on it. What is a standard funerary document? Quote, These fragments date to between the 3rd century BCE and the 1st century CE, long after Abraham lived, 2,000 years after Abraham lived. It's so bad that evidence is so damning that the church is trying to sell what is called a catalyst theory, that Joseph Smith did not translate the book of Abraham like we were taught growing up and in all the church's institutions, CES, Mutual, Sunday School, that he translated it. It's no longer that he translated it. He just maybe touched the papyrus and he got a revelation that became the book of Abraham. But that theory, which is bizarre and contradictory to the evidence in the journals and claims of Joseph Smith, it doesn't explain why Joseph Smith's translations of the facsimiles are wrong, that they're incorrect. Both LDS and non-LDS Egyptologists agree that the translations of the facsimiles are wrong. Joseph Smith got them wrong. So it's not me that's discrediting the church of Joseph Smith. It's the church's essays, essay facts, and Joseph Smith that's discrediting the church. Um, Three, express opposition to church leaders, including the prophet Joseph Smith. He actually didn't point out which one was number two, but it's probably somewhere in all that stuff I just read. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Again, this is just a transcript. Um, Okay. Again, the church's essays do that just fine. Talking about, um, let's see. Let me read that again. Express opposition to church leaders, including the prophet Joseph Smith. Again, the church's essays do that just fine. It creates a new narrative that discredits the story that was really told, that discredits the claims of Joseph Smith. I just mentioned several of them. The Book of Abraham, Blacks of the Priesthood, the First Vision Accounts essay. Joseph Smith wrote several different essays and accounts that contradict each other. They evolve. Then he lets out a sigh. The Book of Mormon <laughs> translation. You had to read that part. <laughs> I'm just trying to stay true to the transcript. <laughs> um, the Book of Mormon translation. You were taught that Joseph Smith used gold plates to translate the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon that we use, that we have today, and the essays verify it, was not translated with gold plates. It was used with a rock in a hat. The same rock in a hat that Joseph Smith used to, tr- to do treasure hunting. Yet we're still displaying artwork with Joseph Smith's fingers over the gold plates. That's dishonest. So I was trying to resolve these doubts and concerns. We're getting towards the end here. I was seeing this information, and I was trying to resolve it by writing the letter to the CES director. It was not my intention to destroy the church or to take people out of the church, and it still is not my intention. If people are happy in the church, awesome, fantastic. My intention is to get the official answers I was promised by the CES director three years ago, and I still haven't received any. Now there's some rustling going on in the video. Again, it's not me that's discrediting or doing opposition against the church. It's the church's own verified essay facts. I have done nothing wrong. I stand today with my head held high. I'm morally clean. I have a clear conscience that I have done nothing wrong. 
So, because you guys are not answering my questions, and you guys have not answered my questions the last three years, it is very clear to me that the church does not have answers to its truth crisis. The church does not like individuals asking questions about its truth claims. So, this is a kangaroo court. I'm done with this court. President, I am excommunicating the LDS church, I am excommunicating you, and I am executing excommunicating this kangaroo court from my life. Here is my resignation letter. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we like to call a mic drop moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I thought that was a pretty powerful moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, again, it just uh, it highlights so many of the big issues that people have with the church. And, and the church, um, you know, they have the essays that are out, but they won't talk about them openly. And you can't get real clarification from any of the church leaders because they're avoiding it because they don't really want people to be open about it. Right. You know, it's like, at what point do people just say that the church isn't being honest? Mm-hmm. You know, or just at least acknowledge that they're whitewashing their own history. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's what I got for the update on Jeremy Runnels. Do you have anything else to add? Nope. 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 Cool. So what are some of the uh, things that you wanted to talk about? Um, I have a couple of really short things. Um, One was um, uh, Tennessee, lawmakers in Tennessee approved a repeal of a spiritual treatment exception. Exemption. (laughs) Sorry. Spiritual treatment exemption? Uh Uh-huh. What does that mean? So they had um, an an exemption... um, written into law, I guess, for um, parents, like, parents would not be prosecuted under, like, child abuse or child neglect laws Mm -hmm. if they sought out spiritual treatment through, like, um, approved religious, like, things like that. You know, okay. Okay. So they repealed that, or they're working on repealing it. It looks like that oh. it will actually officially be repealed. Okay. Oh, the governor still has to sign it or something. Cool. But uh, so yeah. to to clarify, right now there is a law that allows an exemption for people who try to to treat um, their kids with spiritual remedies, mm-hmm. like for instance, praying rather than taking them to a doctor. Right. Um, and if the child dies, they can't be prosecuted. But if this repeal goes through then those people will be charged with um, neglect, right? Yes. Awesome. Yeah. So it's a move cool. in the right direction. Yeah. Um, and then the other one was, you've probably seen this, the UK warns gay travelers about US anti-LGBT laws. Have you seen that? <laughs> I haven't seen that one. Oh. I've seen a lot of stuff about the anti-LGBT laws. Yeah. but This came out at the end of April, but the UK okay. is apparently warning any of their any travelers that mm-hmm. if you go to the U.S., that the U.S. is full of, like, it's wishy-washy. Mm-hmm. Anywhere you go, you're going to get different um, ideas of, like, anti-LGBT, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. So it's inconsistent, it's and inconsistent. in some areas you might uh-huh. run into problems. Right. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that, I mean, that's basically all I want to say. But also, mm-hmm. like, it's just it just shows that, like, people outside the U.S. pay attention, and it's affecting foreign relations mm-hmm. with the U.S., People have stopped coming into certain states. Performers have stopped performing in, like, mm-hmm. North Carolina and where's the other one, Mississippi or something like that because of mm-hmm. these laws that are being made. It's like it's a bigger problem yeah. than they're willing to admit. Right. And they think that they have the moral high ground because mm-hmm. they're they're hiding behind their religious conviction. Right. Um, but what it's 
I don't know. It's just, it's one of those things that it doesn't seem like it is a religious thing to me because it's a psychological thing. Like somebody who has gender identity disorder, who thinks that they were born the wrong gender. Um, that's not religious. Like that's psychological and biological and, mm -hmm. you know, those sorts of things. Like what does religion have to do with any of that? Right. You know, it's mm -hmm. not just because that's deciding... admitting that God made a mistake. Yeah, I guess. But, I don't know. There are just so many religious people that are in, um, like, the soft sciences, psychology and psychiatry and uh, sociology and those sorts of things that have no problem acknowledging the fact that sometimes people are born the wrong gender. Like, right. their their physical genitalia mm -hmm. don't match the gender in their head, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's because of biological reasons, mm -hmm. you know. And there's nothing – it's not a question of morality right. for them, mm -hmm. you know. But, it, I don't know, maybe it's just – you know the uh, the ignorance of people that don't really know what causes it. Like, right. why would somebody that has a penis think that they're a woman? Mm -hmm. You know, or mm -hmm. vice versa. Right. You know. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It's just it, I don't know. it bothers me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's kind of mind-boggling. <laughs> and why wouldn't you defer to the judgment? Of the person. the ex the experts right. like the the doctors and the scientists right. who are doing the research and talking about it and they ha I mean this isn't a new issue no. you know there's right. lots it's of just studies made more popular because of people like Caitlyn Jenner that mm -hmm. Jenner that have you know more recently come out and have actually had the mm -hmm. re the corrective surgery yeah the thing that that bothers me about this whole bathroom situation that's going on in like North Carolina and Mississippi and similar areas. Where um, they come out and say that you have to go to the restroom that's on your birth certificate. Uh -huh. um, it's like the 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 uh, argument that they seem to be making the most is that it's about protecting children. Right. Um, as if saying that a transgender woman going to the woman's room is somehow going to put a child at greater risk of being molested or, uh -huh. or kidnapped or whatever. Right. It's like there's nothing stopping a child molester right now mm -hmm. from dressing up as a woman and going into a woman's restroom and abducting a child. Right. You know, <laughs> like yeah. there, there's already a law in place to prevent that. Sure. But I mean, uh, until he does it, like, like what recourse is there really? Mm -hmm. And, and stopping transgender people from going into their preferred bathroom isn't going to stop that kind of situation from happening. Right. You know? And I, th I think I saw somewhere that said that, um, you know, they, they talked about of the thousands and thousands of child abductions and child rape that's been going on uh, each, you know, each year. Like it's, what is it, like 19,000 cases a year or something like that in the U.S. Um, zero instances have ever happened by a transgender woman in a in bathroom, bathroom. <laughs> against uh -huh. a child. You right. know, it, just, it just doesn't happen. So right. what, what is it that they're actually preventing, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. and, and then they have, uh, you know, there's the... Uh, the transgender men, you know, people going from women to men who take lots of testosterone um, and become very masculine looking. Okay, mm -hmm. they're going to be going to the to the women's restroom. Right. They're going to be legally required to go to a woman's room. Right. You know, yeah. <laughs> is that really what you want? Because uh -huh. <laughs> that yeah. seems to be the opposite of what you're saying that you want. You know. Uh -huh. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. It just blows me away. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so that's what you got for. I have one those. more thing to talk about. I got one more? Cool. Yeah. So this one was in the Deseret News. Okay. 
and I wanted to read it because a few points that they bring up in this um, article are things that we've talked about mm-hmm. in relation to um, the missionary age going okay. down. So the title is Number of LDS Converts, Missionaries Increase, Conversion uh, Convert Rate Declines. Conversion Rates Declines. Sorry, I can't read my own writing. Um, it looks like it was published last year, but it's still relevant. So. Mm. Um, so it starts off by uh, saying that figures that have come out recently um, show that even though there's been an onslaught of proselytizing LDS um, missionaries, that it doesn't that it hasn't led to an equally dramatic spike in converts, right. which we've talked about, and mm. there have been some articles and stuff talking about that already. But mm-hmm. um, so they go on to say um, that the average number of people converted per missionary per year dropped to 3.4 each for the past two years, which is down from an average of five within the previous decade. Wow. Yeah. Um, One church spokesman said that this drop could be due to an increasingly secular world, which is a common (laughs) argument made by the church, um, and that it would be a mistake to say that missionary work is less impactful. Um, right, but they don't have any evidence that it is more impactful. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. More, but Mormon scholars say that the decline in number of people converted per missionary is most likely due to the church sending many of its new missionaries um, to areas of North America that could quickly accommodate the sudden influx, but were already flush with Mormons. So they're just, so they're just sending more Mormons to, to Mormon popu- yeah, to Mormon yeah. populated areas. Um, which is just going to increase how many missionaries aren't converting anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, let's see. The figures also suggest that it's becoming more difficult to find people to convert to Mormonism, especially in these more developed parts of the world where people are less apt to turn to religion for help because their basic needs are already being met. Right. And I thought it was interesting that they included this quote. It was made by a man named Ryan Cragen. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a Mormon, is no longer a Mormon. <clears throat> He's an associate professor of sociology at the University of Tampa. Okay. But it, like, it hits on a really important point. Mm-hmm. Um, that religion is quite often used to supplement the needs of, other, of like, poorer individuals. Right. It's like they're more prone to accept religion because they think it's going to help them overcome mm-hmm. these you know, uh, material difficulties. Right. And there's, of course, the issue of education. Right. Yeah. You know. The less educated you are, the more prone to superstition. Mm-hmm. And religion, in many cases, is a form of superstition. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. um, it's interesting that you pointed out that the, that quote was made by a non-member because in the Book of Mormon, they talk about how it is the physical trials and tribulations that bring us closer to God. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so hard for rich people to accept the gospel. Right. Um, but that's you know the Mormon spin on it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like Book of Mormon supports what that guy's saying. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Uh, Let's see. Um, They say that half or more of all converts stop attending church within a year of baptism, which means that missionaries may be focusing more on retention and reactivation rather than conversion at any cost, Mm -hmm. Um, which makes sense. But when they came out with the age change like they didn't specifically cite any reason for doing so mm-hmm. so I've, it's still just like people looking yeah for an explanation without having ever been provided an explanation well, I, I actually listened to the press conference when they made the change okay um, because they made the announcement in general conference that they were going to mm-hmm. do this right and then they had a press conference 
where Elder Holland, who we just you know read a quote from a few minutes ago, talked to reporters about what the change meant, like what why they were doing it and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And he made no bones of, about the fact that the reason they were doing this was because the second coming of Christ was almost here and that they needed to convert as many people as they possibly could. Mm-hmm. Okay, that was his, the reason that he gave oh, okay. as a, the church apostle designated to make this, uh, this announcement. Uh-huh. Okay. That's interesting and, that they've moved away from that. Right. Well, because they, they don't have the numbers to back it up. Right. You know? Right. Well, it's interesting because one of the guys um, that they quote in here said that um, conversion, like the uh, the numbers of people that were converted um, were the highest last year than they've ever been. But he's... Really? Yeah, but he's forgetting the fact of how many missionaries are out in the field. So I think oh, it, like... I it's unbalanced in that yeah. respect. So despite having the, higher the numbers, average. they're not getting the same average. Yeah. It should be higher with the amount of missionaries mm-hmm. that are out on the field. Yeah, because they jumped from like, was it 60,000 missionaries to 85,000 missionaries, yeah. something like that. Mm-hmm. And they're still getting about the same number of yeah. baptisms a year. Yeah, just over 300,000. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that it? Right. We looked at all those stats the yeah. other day. Well, we looked at them and the, uh, the statistics are actually showing that last year was the lowest percent uh growth for the church out of any year for like the last three decades yeah i think he was citing uh 2014 or something like that Mm -hmm. because one of those years we looked at was really high Mm -hmm. and then it dropped dramatically after that yeah and and there are people in the ex-mormon community that are postulating that the uh the target um audience for well i don't know if that's the right word the people that they're really trying to convert are not investigators. They're trying to convert the missionaries. Yeah. The, which they say in this article. Oh, do they? Yeah, which is mm-hmm. part of the reason why I wanted to talk about mm-hmm. it as well, because that's something you and I have talked about a lot. Right. Is that the reason they're doing this is because mm-hmm. that's the age where people start to question the way they were brought up, mm-hmm. the religion that they've been taught to believe in. Yep. And by sending them out at 18, rather than letting them have a year off, go to college, start right. thinking new ideas... It's to keep them in the religion for two more full years, mm-hmm. which makes it out. more difficult for them to get out of it later mm-hmm. because they've just been so much more absorbed in it. Yeah. Um, but, but they still have, I mean, some of the articles that um, I didn't decide to talk about today point out the fact that, that uh, Mormon men, young Mormon men, are leaving the church at a faster rate than they ever have before, mm-hmm. and it's the highest in Utah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's been... Uh, when, when I um, started having doubts, I would uh, I had a conversation with um, a good friend of mine from BYU, and she pointed out that, like, um, you know, the uh, young Mormon men in, like, their mid to late 20s were leaving at a faster rate than they had before, and, like, so many of her friends were leaving. Oh, uh-huh. and, and she's she's from Salt Lake, right. you know. And like her church, her local church leadership were talking about it openly and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then like two, year, two years later, I was out. Right. Like completely, you know. It's like, yeah. <laughs> and part of me when, that, when I was going through my faith crisis was like, I just don't want to be another statistic. Uh-huh. But then I was like, that's a terrible argument. Right. And you're going to be a statistic either way. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. The article does end by saying that the lower conversion rates don't suggest that the church is struggling more than usual, mm-hmm. but I feel like they have to say that because it's the Deseret News and mm-hmm. 
LDS members are the ones that are reading this article. Right, but, but even even if it was lower than usual and they were struggling more than usual, mm-hmm. they could spin that with a Mormon angle of uh, persecution and the adversary right. working extra hard because right. Jesus is about to come. And the world is becoming more secular. Right. Yeah. It's like either way, either it kind way of works they in their favor. Either way, they win. Yeah. You know, at least mm-hmm. with the narrative that they can give mm-hmm. to the true believing members. Right. You know. I just like the article because of the pointing out the missionary age. Uh-huh. You know, contributing to keeping young men in the church for longer, mm-hmm. and that they're focusing more on convert or reconverting mm-hmm. and reactivating than they are on conversion. Because I remember Megan when she came home from her mission, that's something that she pointed out mm-hmm. that they were um, told that they needed to focus on um, keeping people in the church because church membership drops mm-hmm. off as soon as the missionaries change right. or like boundaries are reassigned because it's so much harder for people in Africa, which is where she right. went to get to a church. And they that, have to walk like 10 miles. Yeah. And <laughs> that I think reflects the fact that for so many people, it's not about the church being true. It's about the connection with, with other the people. people. Yeah, yeah. It's the social um, organization. Exactly. You know, mm-hmm. that, they, that they're attracted to. And Mormons are very good with um, social activities. Yep. You know, they and are. Like, if you want to involve yourself in the Mormon church, they will take up all of your free time. You know, oh, yeah. like even if you don't want to be that involved in the Mormon church, they still take up all of your free time. Right. Yeah. Like, they're very good at. At occupying you. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Busy work. Mm-hmm. It's all busy work. Yep. That's all I wanted to say okay. or talk about. So. Cool. Um, so kind of going back a little bit to the whole North Carolina thing uh-huh. and, and the bathroom laws that have been going around, um, I, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about um, Utah and their public health crisis uh-huh. um, with pornography. Yep. So the first thing that I wanted to point to was a, an article from, let's see, Esquire.com. I'm not terribly familiar with them. I think they're just a regular magazine. Uh-huh. Um, but they have a statistical report from a website called Pornhub, which is oh, a yeah. very popular um, free porn site. Mm-hmm. Okay, And what the, uh, the article concludes basically that... Um, while Utah is talking about how this is a public health crisis and how um, damaging it is, um, at least based on the statistics collected by Pornhub on their own website, mm-hmm. Utah actually ranks fairly low. Really? It does. Um, which, is, which I found very interesting because everybody keep, keeps talking about how Utah has more porn use than any other state. But I think that's because they're calculating off of porn that's paid for. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, so Mormons are difference. paying for porn when they could get it for free. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that's the difference. Yeah. Right? So the statistic that everybody talks about came out, um, I think, 2012 or 13, mm-hmm. and it was about paid uh, subscriptions. Okay. okay. And mm-hmm. Utah had the highest per capita paid subscriptions for pornography out of any state. Okay. okay. So that, for a lot of people, translates to Utah's using more porn than anybody, mm-hmm. which isn't exactly accurate. This, um, I think, is a little bit more indicative or, or true to what the uh, real d- dynamics are because this is such a popular site. Um, they say, let me find the statistics. So based on 2015 numbers, Utah ranks only 38th compared to every 
state in per capita visits to this site. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the time Utah uh, users spend on the site is below the national average, as is the percentage of female users, and its favorite search term is lesbian. Really? Mm-hmm. But female usage is low? Right. So it's. So these are men looking for women on These are Utah action. men looking for lesbian videos. Interesting. It's, it's their most popular search. Huh. Um, I have to kind of censor the next couple lines a little bit because there's a, a few um, explicit terms. Okay. Um, but I can read some of it. Utahns love boobs more than butts. That makes sense. <laughs> and. Uh, Relatively speaking, they look up cosplay mm. more than other states. <laughs> so they like the role playing. They like the, yeah, the role playing <laughs> fantasy stuff. Yeah, actually, um, I can totally see that. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, Comic Con yeah. has had to increase the number of times they hold the event in Salt Lake City because it's become so popular here. Mm-hmm. Um, predictably, Utah porn users are also fifty percent more likely to search for Mormon porn. <laughs> <laughs> And then the final line in the article is, and that's it, really. Utah's porn epidemic is a bit of a snoozer. Sorry, teen. (laughs) It really is kind of a snoozer. Um, Yeah, so I I thought that that was an important thing to point out while they're talking about how rampant this thing is, Mm -hmm. right? Well, in a related... It's tame. Right, exactly. It's it's so tame um, compared to so many other areas. Um... The final thing that I wanted to talk about. So you're familiar with Playboy, right? Yes. Um, And its founder, um, Hugh Hefner. Yes. Okay, so Hugh Hefner and Playboy have actually had a lot to do with um, public opinions. And they've had a lot to do with freedom of speech laws and uh, Supreme Court hearings and all that kind of stuff. Um, but relatively speaking, there are fairly Playboy is a fairly mild um, magazine mm-hmm. compared to a lot of other ones that are out there. Um, but they've been able to do a lot of great things with freedom of speech and expression and all that kind of stuff, First Amendment rights and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, another lesser known player in all of that is the founder of the magazine Hustler. Okay. His name is Larry Flint. So Hustler is a much more graphic um, magazine, which causes a lot more outcry. And it it became a much more difficult case for uh, them to make that this was about art. It was about expression and freedom of speech Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. With softer pornography like Playboy, it's easier to make that case and people to go, okay, yeah, they're they're using lighting. It's a little bit more artistic and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. Hustler is hardcore stuff. Okay. And and because of that, it's it's it was harder for them to make that case, but they still made it, okay. and it was an important um, court case that came through the Supreme Court. Okay. Um, so in a lot of ways, Larry Flint, despite so many ways of being kind of an unsettling person, um, is very influential in how U.S. Um, f- uh, First Amendment laws are viewed. Okay. Okay. Um, which is which influences the way that Utah treats its porn epidemic. Okay. okay. That's the connection here. Okay. okay. So let me just read this article. This is from fox13now.com. So this is the Salt Lake City local Fox News Network. Okay. 
It's not a very long article, but it's uh, I, I really like it. <laughs> Hustler Magazine founder Larry Flint is reportedly threatening to send each member of the Utah State Legislature a copy in protest of the recent anti-porn resolution. Okay. That's awesome. So each member of the Utah State Legislature that is calling porn a, a, a public health crisis, an epidemic, mm-hmm. are going to receive a monthly subscription to Hustler Magazine. That's funny. Okay. Um, in a statement published by the Washington Times, Flint declared the Utah State Legislature, quote, is obviously confused about what constitutes a public health crisis. So I'll send them our latest issue and they can see for themselves that we're in no danger that we're no danger to the public, only to the repressed. <laughs> that is so true. Flint also said supporters of the res- resolution were only dragging this out now, quote, to satisfy religious zealots, mm-hmm. which I absolutely re- agree with. Totally. Um, on Tuesday, Utah Governor Gary Herbert, so let's see. Come on, iPad. So this article came out. April 20th, 2016. Okay. So the Thursday before this is what he's talking about. Okay. Or Tuesday. So on Tuesday, Utah Governor Gary Herbert held a ceremonial signing for Senator Todd Weiler's non-binding resolution that declares pornography, quote, a public health crisis. Supporters of the resolution um, said that it highlights problems associated with pornography, and they hope more is done to restrict youth access to adult materials. Now, here's my favorite part. Flint has famously given each member of Congress a copy of Hustler since 1983, whether they want it or not. Really? (laughs) That's funny. Isn't that just fantastic? That is fantastic. (laughs) So, yeah. Wow. So, I have a lot of respect for the cojones on Mr. Flint. Like, the the way that he is dealing with this is just fantastic, mm-hmm. I think. Um, I mean, obviously, it's a publicity stunt, but right. it's the sort of publicity stunt that's going to get a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. It's going to cause a lot of con- controversy, but it's also going to get a lot of people to talk about it. Right. Um, anyway. That's interesting. So, huh. yeah, I thought that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything else? Uh-uh. I'm good. Cool. Well, that's our show. Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us, you can email us at skepticsquaredpodcast at gmail.com. You can check out the show's blog at www.skepticsquaredpodcast.blogspot.com. And we will see you next time on the Skeptic Squared Podcast. Bye. See ya. Mm.